and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark. Welcome back for part two of the Maddie McCann special. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us once again, guys. And as Mark said, this is part two of The Disappearance of Madeline McCann. So if you haven't listened to episode one, we definitely recommend that you go back and have a listen to that one first, because Mark has taken us up to the point of her disappearance and some information around some of the events surrounding that day. And then today we're going to look at some of the theories of what potentially may have happened to her. So thank you for joining us and coming back. And please do share your theories as well with us on social media, because we'd love to hear your thoughts and, and feelings around the case. Yeah, hopefully this is the the most interesting of the, the two parts. So we always love exploring the theories. So um, yeah, we're going to do that in some detail. And as Bethan said, we'd love for you to get involved as well. Um, so before we dive in uh, to part two, uh, let's take a moment just to thank our patrons who have joined over the past week. Um, so there's a huge list of you guys again, which is amazing. So thank you so much for taking the time uh, to sign up and, and for supporting us in that way. Uh, so thanks go to Fabiana, Laura Bennett, F. Marrera, Alex, Victoria Maguire, Melody Moiser, Pamela Murphy, Amy, Hayley Black, Heather Millward, Laura Friedrich, Aidan Brunker and Ashley O'Donnell who became an annual patron. So thank you so much to each and every one of you and also huge thanks to our existing patrons as well. We say it every week pretty much but we are always genuinely blown away by the amount of you that take the time to come and support us on Patreon and to keep the show alive. So if you like what you hear and you're able to support us in that way and you want to, um, then please do take a moment to head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. It only takes two minutes to sign up to support us there and um, those two minutes will be well spent because they will give me and Beth in a lifetime of, of joy. Uh, so yes, it's uh, greatly appreciated. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say that's really cheesy and I was like, actually, no, it's true. <laughs> it's going to be like, oh God, Mark, cheese I don't fest. know about a lifetime of joy, but it definitely brings, uh, it always makes us, uh, it gives us a warm and fuzzy feeling. So um, how long it lasts for, I don't know. I reckon though, we'll be old, old people sat in our rocking chairs, just going, ah. Oh, do you remember? I've always said when I get to that sort of age, I'm going to smoke crystal meth, crack. You have always said that, And take you? heroin as well. When I get to like, I don't know, I'd have to be in my 80s, I guess. Uh, you'll be in your rocking chair reading a book and I'll be um, free basing crack cocaine. Lovely. Yeah, there you go. So a little insight into... <laughs> insight uh, into the crazy mind of Mark. <laughs> basically, yeah. Um, so let's dive into part two. As Bethan said, part one, if you've not listened to that already, it's definitely worth listening to first. Part one covered the um, build-up and the immediate aftermath of the disappearance of Madeline McCann. Part two, we're going to just do a, a very brief recap and set a bit of context. And then we're going to dive straight into a number of hypotheses around the disappearance of Maddie. Madeline McCann vanished on the 3rd of May in 2007. To this day, she has never been found. 24 hours after Madeline went missing, her father Jerry McCann made a desperate statement to the world's media, pleading with his daughter's kidnapper for her safe return. What followed was an unprecedented and global media explosion that saw Madeline and her parents subjected to a barrage of relentless media attention, both positive and negative. Across 24-7 news coverage, websites, documentaries, films, YouTube videos, books and magazines, Madeleine McCann was all at once a mediagenic image of innocence and an extremely lucrative story. However, unlike most other news stories that have come both before and after, the Madeleine McCann case has never fully drifted away from the public's interest. You may have wondered to yourself many times over the years why this particular case has received such unusually prolific media coverage and why the sensationalism around the story has never fully gone away. After all, it's a sad fact that children much younger than Madeline are lost every single day all over the world. What is so special about her? The answer's simple. It's the circumstances. It's the unanswered questions and the outright weirdness of this case. 
The term vanished without a trace is often banded about within the true crime community, usually to describe people who go missing by vanishing into an invisible void, never to be seen again. People who leave behind no clues as to where they went. However, to use that term in this case wouldn't be correct. Madeline didn't simply vanish without a trace. There were clues, there was forensic evidence and there was circumstantial evidence too and when you dig into the case a little deeper you find that very little about any of this makes any logical sense. And I think that's the key thing is there's just so many more questions that come. You start to look at this case and you ask a couple of questions and then by the end of looking at it you've got 10 more and none of them have been answered and it's it is it's just there's there's so much evidence and so many things that potentially could be evidence and still no trace of madeline yeah it's um i wouldn't necessarily say it's unique because we've we've probably got john benet ramsey is another very similar case to this and there must be plenty that just didn't get the media coverage that are very very similar yeah yeah plenty uh, where the girl wasn't blonde-haired and blue-eyed i guess So senior BBC correspondent Robert Hall, who covered the Madeleine McCann case live from Pride to Lose as it unfolded, articulated this kind of weirdness and lack of logical sense around the case perfectly when he was interviewed as part of that Madeleine McCann Netflix documentary. He said, I keep coming back to the question that was there from the very first day, which is how? How is it possible for some stranger to know that those children are alone? then go in, remove one child without waking up the others, or apparently even waking up the child that they're taking. They then make their way out again. They don't know for sure when the next person from the dinner party is going to come up and in through those doors, they're going out into a lit street. I guess the only conclusion one can draw is that someone was watching that apartment. Somebody planned this. Hall was referring to the very unusual yet exceptionally sinister nature of this incident. The supposed chain of events just doesn't add up. Therefore, pretty much since the day it hit the headlines, the Madeleine McCann case has been the subject of intense scrutiny uh, within the public and professionals, and they those parties really have both committed thousands of hours to analysing the timeline of events, the police response and the behaviour of everybody involved. Naturally, the intense interest in the case has given birth to several theories about what really happened that night in Pride Luz and how young Madeleine seemingly vanished, never to be seen again. Some of the theories range from the far-fetched to the outright baseless and cruel, but many others are more credible and well worth exploring here. Keep in mind that the following avenues are nothing more than speculative theories. They could be true, but they could also be false. Either way, do let us know, as we said at the beginning of the show, if you have any theories of your own that we've not covered here, um, or that we have covered, but you have a different kind of take on it. So, um, the first credible theory is that Madeline was killed in a burglary gone wrong. According to this hypothesis, thieves broke into the apartment and then either killed or abducted Madeline when she woke up and saw what they were doing. Interestingly, the Scotland Yard review team in charge of Madeline's investigation has never officially ruled out this scenario, but they have on several occasions acknowledged that it is extremely unlikely that that actually happened. That does make sense as a credible theory, except for the fact that, like, I don't know, I just think that's a big leap to just be robbing from lo- uh, from tourists. Even if a, a small child interrupts you, and maybe you might, like, shove them out the way or just shut the bedroom door on them or something, but they're not really much of a threat. They're not going to really be able to describe you or anything. So would you really then make the leap to killing them? My only thinking around this is maybe Maddie woke, um, woke up, saw them, started kind of yelling out and screaming and crying for mom and dad and they just panicked and they had to silence her and then obviously they would have thought, well, we'll take the body and dispose of that somewhere because there's going to be forensic evidence on the body. Um, so it, it could be that that happened. Um, but yeah, it's a massive leap, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. That's... It definitely could happen, but for me, that just feels... And also, 
that would have to be quite a split decision, like sudden you react. Like you said, she's making loads of noise and you're like, oh shit, they're going to come, they're, someone's going to come and see what's happening. You make a split decision. Surely there'd be much more mess or like things knocked over. Absolutely, yeah. So thieves acting in panic would tend to make a snap decision and that would often lead to mistakes and a subsequent trail of evidence being left behind. And when the PJ examined apartment 5A not long after Madeline went missing, there wasn't really any evidence. However, we do need to keep in mind that by the time the Portuguese investigators had arrived at the apartment, the so-called crime scene had been essentially trashed by the local police and um, friends of, of Maddie's parents who were desperately looking for Maddie. And obviously, um, preserving the crime scene came second to that. So, um, so yeah, whilst no evidence was found to back up this particular theory of a burglary gone wrong, um, it doesn't mean to say that it's it's not actually what happened because minimal evidence would have been gathered at the scene afterwards because, yeah, it had been trashed. I think there's a big difference, though, between knocking over tables and rum- rummaging through suitcases and opening drawers to the sort of way that people look for a lost child. I don't know. It's yeah. re- it's really low on my list of theories, I think. I think you're one. right, actually. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to be... Like, a burglar would have been pulling drawers open and throwing clothes out. Um, they're not going to be... The people that went into that crime scene after Maddie had disappeared are not going to be pulling drawers open and looking for Maddie in there. So, yeah, you're right. They would have searched that apartment in quite a different way. So it would have still been preserved to a certain extent. But um, nevertheless, during the investigation, Met Police detectives from London identified four Prior de Luz locals who seemed as if they might have fitted the robbery gone wrong narrative. Their criminal backgrounds, mobile phone contacts and locations around the time of Maddie's disappearance all seemed to fit the pattern of men involved in a burglary that had indeed gone wrong. They were questioned in 2014, but Scotland Yard later announced that there was no credible evidence at all to implicate any of them, and subsequently they abandoned the case against all four men. So I think we can probably discount that theory of the burglary gone wrong. I'm not saying it definitely didn't happen, but I think it's unlikely, isn't it? Can you imagine, though, so from the way you've described that, I'm assuming that they managed to intercept some sort of communications or something, and these four guys have done a burglary and something's gone wrong and I don't know I mean it's still awful but they've like accidentally killed a dog in the middle of it or something and that's like terrible they're all there like we're just burglars and then the police think you killed a child and you'd be like oh shit like the burglary went wrong bad enough but or even not even killed a dog maybe that's too extreme like burglary went wrong and one of them cut themselves And they're like, oh, my God, the burglary went wrong. We've left some blood at the scene. Yeah, you'd literally be like, what shit luck? A child was abducted that same night. The same night that we were robbing houses. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah, that'd be my I mean, it's good that they were questioned and everything. But, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think that's... It's a good theory to discuss, but I do think it can almost be discredited straight away yeah yeah so um the next theory uh talks about the elephant in the room and um this is that maddie's parents were involved in her disappearance so um before we kind of go into that in any detail i just wanted to say i think i touched on it in part one anyone who knows me will know that for years this was the theory that i held um up there really to be the most credible and I was really suspicious of Maddie's parents for a long time. I thought they were both doctors. I thought, like a lot of people, that maybe they'd been drugging the kids uh, to keep them sleepy so that they could go out and enjoy their dinners and their wine um, without the disruption of the children. Um, And I thought maybe then something happened, Maddie fell over and they covered it up. Um, And it's only really in the last sort of year with new evidence coming to light that I've really changed my mind on this one and we'll come on to that new evidence towards the end of of part two but but yeah it's like I've done an about turn and um it kind of annoys me a bit because for years I was so adamant that that they were involved and and now I really don't think that um I don't know I don't know how I feel about it I just feel weird about it I don't feel bad because we talked a bit about that in episode one and you were like no you shouldn't feel bad that you thought that and now you think something different but 
Yeah, it's a weird feeling to have to go from feeling so strongly one way to to completely going the other way with it. It is interesting because um, when I said to you know Ellie, don't you? When I said to yeah. her that um, that's the, this is the case we're going to be covering, her initial reaction was like, "Oh Christ!" And Ash was the same. Like we know what Mark's going to be saying, and I was like, actually he has changed his mind recently. And they were like, what? That's mad. Like he was so adamant. But the thing is, is you you have to base your opinions and your theories on the evidence you have in front of you at that moment. And if at that point, the evidence points to a certain place, and that's your decision, it. I think I said this in part one, it'd be very different if you'd have been forwarding a hate campaign of the McCanns or you'd been writing loads of stuff about them in the press. I think that's really wrong and that's really dangerous. But just for you to have an opinion that you talk about with your work friends, I don't think is that bad. I don't think it's awful because I was always, I'd always say to you, wouldn't I? I'd be like, well, I just don't, I don't think they necessarily did it on purpose, but potentially an accident. And, but I was always never quite sure. And it's, it's interesting because I really, I still don't know, whereas you've changed your mind entirely. So really interesting. And I think you can just like, you can really go down a rabbit hole with this. And there's so many um, discussion groups on Reddit and in other places on the web that talk about some really strange theories surrounding the mum and dad and what they were involved in which you know are just weird really um so it is easy to kind of get caught up in all of that but um but yeah for the longest time even though there was no discernible evidence to back it up the leading theory was that Kate and Jerry were the perpetrators in their daughter's disappearance so it wasn't just me that thought that most people thought that at the time because let's be honest when a child goes missing or is murdered it usually is somebody very close to home that's responsible and i think people still to this day a lot of people do still think they had something to do with it yeah but i i do think with those people that maybe they've not looked at all of the new evidence that's come to light because i think that's damning really but but as i say we'll, we'll touch on that a bit later on So the largely baseless theory that Maddie's own parents were involved um, related really to the fact that maybe, as I said, they'd administered their children with sedatives to keep them disorientated, sleepy and manageable in the evenings. The purpose being that they could then enjoy lavish tapas dinners and late night drinks with their equally well-off friends in the posh Pride resort with minimal interruptions. A popular belief among several journalists and civilians who follow the case is that Maddie was accidentally given an overdose and promptly died as a result of that. Kate and Jerry fearing for their livelihoods and the very real possibility of being charged for involuntary manslaughter then panicked and hid Maddie's body in a remote location or out at sea. The world's media was particularly fond of this theory for a long time and just as they did with Robert Murat, the papers mercilessly perpetuated the growing suspicion around Maddie's parents being the culprits. I think my only issue with this and whilst I for a long time really did believe that they had something to do with it, the main thing that then gave me cause to pause around this is once the first few years had gone past and I said this is going to sound really awful but you've got away with it I don't think I can't think of a better way to put it but you get away with this why would you keep pushing whereas Kate and Jerry McCann have continued to keep pushing and keeping Madeline's story in the media and constantly renewing the searches and that sort of thing and that was always my issue was that that seems very very plausible but surely you would just let let the media go mad and then stop and then not keep bringing it up and I think I always used to say to you but why would they keep Mm. going back to this case and and you'd sort of say well maybe to keep up appearances but I just couldn't that's the bit I couldn't get my head around yeah why would you keep going on then why would you not just allow this to stop when a few years had gone past and people weren't so interested anymore I agree Kate and Jerry are the ones who have kept this front and centre. I I totally agree. I think um, if you were responsible, you would do what 
you would keep up appearances in terms of uh, desperately searching for your daughter and having a campaign. But after a few years, you would have just let that dissipate. And you would have probably moved to Australia or somewhere and changed your names and just started again and kept a low profile. But they've done the complete opposite of that. So um, unless it's a double bluff, which I really don't think it is, I think it it does make um, their desperate search for their their daughter all the more real and believable so um i think you're right i think why would why would they still be keeping this in the papers so kate mccann in particular took the brunt of this trial by media onslaught she was slammed for changing her earrings between press appearances with critics passing judgment about her caring for her appearance for the cameras more than she cared for finding her missing daughter that annoys me because what if what if you caught one of your earrings and it was bent or it pulled it's your It's not even just that. It's, you it's just one. like you're in a routine and you're probably on autopilot yeah. and you're not consciously thinking of what you're doing. But your routine might be that you wake up every morning, you put some earrings in, you do your makeup, you have a shower yeah. before probably doing your makeup. But do you know what I mean? So she probably just was going through the motions and not actively yeah. thinking about any of that. But also what if, so what if when you've lost your daughter, the one thing that helps you keep grounded is trying to match your earrings to your outfit because it's the one thing you have control in right yeah. now. You have no control over anything else that's going on in your life. And that's that one thing that you can kind of go, do you know what, at least I can choose what I wear before I get hounded by the press. And um, shockingly, Kate McCann's personal diary was stolen by a member of the PJ and it was then released to the UK media who gleefully published her pain and anguish in written form. I mean, that is just such a... I didn't know about yeah, that. Yeah, such a violation, isn't it? And also, potentially if... Her diary said something like, lol, she went missing. Like, I don't know, like something really inappropriate. Maybe you'd want to publish that. But actually, if what she's written in her diary is just the, a mother's loss, then that is horrific. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Really, really cruel thing to do. I think there's been a lot of reform in the UK press since then. So I, I'd like to think that wouldn't happen now and that it couldn't happen. Hey, but it's not that long ago, is it? Our media are bunch of they tats, are, yeah. aren't they sometimes they are. this is awful so both kate and jerry were also heavily criticized after they were photographed jogging together in the beach resort of lagos on may the 16th just 13 days after maddie had vanished but again i kind of think well that might have helped them clear their head or um it might have been good for their mental health there's reasons to do it but equally you can see perhaps how that might look i just think they're just jogging they didn't go to a theme park. Was it, um, oh, I can't remember her name, but there's a, this is going to sound ridiculous because I can't remember her name, but one of our listeners, I'm sure, will pop a, pop a note on the Facebook or Instagram page, but um, the mother of a, of a daughter who'd gone missing and then there's video footage of her um, like, fl- like sort of frolicking around and blowing bubbles and dancing around and I'm sure it's just after the funeral. That rings a bell, yeah. Even that is like people do still defend her and say, do you know what, she's trying to deal with a a really, really traumatic day or maybe she's doing this in memory of her daughter, blah, blah, blah. Like lots of people think that it's really bad, but that's very unusual. Going for a run is just keeping your your mind off everything. It's just keeping yourself active and busy and what's wrong with that? Yeah. So Kate defiantly hit back at some of this criticism in 2011 when she returned to Lisbon to make another appeal for information. She said, who can say what the mum of a missing child should look like? As we've heard in the previous episode, this theory was taken very seriously by the PJ and for a brief time Kate and Jerry were, as we know, named as official suspects. However, the police quickly dropped this line of inquiry almost as quickly as they'd picked it up. And for good reason, there was simply no solid evidence to back up such a theory. And I think that's the important part. There is no evidence. We'll come on to a little bit of evidence that's since been discredited. But as it stands today, there is no evidence that implicates them in their daughter's disappearance or or possible murder. So there are literally dozens of problems with the theory, but let's look at the most obvious ones. Despite the malicious reporting of the UK media, the behaviour of Kate and Jerry in the aftermath of their daughter's disappearance was anything but suspicious. According to eyewitnesses, Kate was reportedly in a catatonic state after realising Madeline had vanished and was pacing up and down, mumbling frantically and incoherently. 
Jerry was said to be very distressed, but reportedly couldn't bring himself to stop searching for his daughter. And it was reported that he even began frantically looking under all of the parked cars, which is, that just screams of a desperate dad, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Just a bit like we said when, you know, like keep looking in all the bushes and do all the silly things that are very unlikely because that's, that's probably where she'll be. Like, yeah, maybe she's crawled under a car and gone to sleep. Yeah, you're so desperate you'll consider even the most preposterous uh, places that she could be. It's a bit like when you lose your keys and then you start thinking like, well, I've looked everywhere. I'll start looking in the microwave and the fridge now, even though it's highly unlikely they're going to be there. Everything about Kate and Jerry's behaviour was perfectly appropriate and proportionate uh, to the unimaginable shock, pain and anguish of losing a child. And eyewitnesses who were there to see it all agree that there was no way their behaviour was staged. Then there is the so-called Tapas Seven. Kate and Jerry's friends who allegedly all know full well what happened to Madeline but immediately after the abduction or incident made a pact of silence to hide the truth. A pact that they've all managed to diligently uphold without so much as a single slip up for much longer than a decade now. Given that they are all fully functioning and non-psychopathic human beings with children of their own, it's extremely unlikely that all of them would have been able to maintain this ruse so perfectly for so long without slipping up, without telling someone. So I just think this pact of silence with the Tapas 7, in theory that could work, but it's so unlikely, nearly 14 years on, that one of them, their loyalties have changed and that they've, you know, not slipped up. I mean, it's like, come on. Even, um, um, I don't know if you remember, but with the Andrew Scanlon case, people talk about things when they're drunk or um, worry about things or, or have to confide in somebody. Yeah. This has been a very long time not to. I also think Kate and Jerry are staunch Catholics and there is, there's sort of real inherent guilt built into that religion. And um, I just think there's no way that they would have not had to tell somebody and had had to kind of confess that guilt um, if they were responsible. So again, that's another way that it could have come out and it's not come out. So, um, so yeah. But if they'd have confessed to a priest within that sacrament, actually, and in that religion, that priest wouldn't have been able to say to anything anyway. So I don't know, though. I think, well, I don't know. The religion would come first, I guess. But you would like to think that they would... Uh, go to the police. The priest would definitely encourage them that that's what they should do. Yeah. However, the priest wouldn't have to go to the police because it is said in confidence. Yeah. So naturally, it wasn't much of a surprise to anyone when the PJ's line of inquiry into Kate and Jerry began to crumble. The DNA that was allegedly found in the McCann's hire car was ultimately ruled inconclusive and then subsequently dropped from the investigation. The sniffer dog evidence was also rejected and the use of dogs across the board has been the subject of research questioning its reliability. In one US court case, a judge agreed with analysis of three sniffer dogs' performances, which they found were wrong 78%, 71% and 62% of the time. As of this moment, there is literally not one piece of actual, discernible evidence that links Kate and Jerry McCann to the vanishing of their own daughter. So, you know, it's it's a really interesting theory. We see it a lot when children go missing or when they are murdered, that their parents are responsible. So I can understand why we all thought that in this case. And then some of the actions and behaviours of the parents subsequently, um, they were judged so much. And some of it maybe was based in real sort of ideas and opinions surrounding people's thoughts on how you should act. I, I just, it's it's a real mess. But for me, it's there is no evidence ultimately with this. So I think we just have to really accept that Kate and Jerry McCann are not responsible for their daughter's disappearance or, or potential murder. It is difficult because um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have seen the article or the websites where they state those, I can't remember the exact number, but the number of questions that Kate McCann refused to answer or evaded and that's always been a sticking point for me because I've always kind of thought well why wouldn't you answer such basic questions and that's that's still a point for me is just kind of like even to this day why not just come out and even just write an article and publish you know send it to the papers and just say here's my answer 
here's why, or actually, I did answer those questions. I did, that, that for me is the only sticking point with this, is that potentially they knew something. But as I said before, you keeping this up for this long continuing the renewed efforts to try and find madeline i that doesn't scream a guilty person to me so no and the pj were desperate to pin maddie's disappearance potential murder on kate and jerry and they were putting like um plea deals forward to them particularly to kate they were saying look we know it was an accident and blah blah if you just confess to this we'll make sure that you only uh, go to prison for five years or whatever so they were desperate to pin it on her so if she had legal advice saying don't answer any questions because they might be able to twist some of it then then you're just going to go with that because you're going to be so panicked you've lost your daughter you don't know whether she's alive or dead and now you're facing the prospect of being the victim of a miscarriage of justice and going to prison you were just going to have to um, bend over to the experts and do as you're told aren't you and like you said in ep- in the part one of the episodes, they had that translator, but wasn't a police officer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You would also potentially be very wary. Is what the the translator saying that the press are asking me? Is this true? Because if your legal representation say to you, just don't say yes or no because you don't know what's been asked in the first instance, and then they say, um, "Did you look under this car?" And that's what you're told that they've asked you. And you say yes, but actually what they questioned you was, did you murder your daughter? Like, you just don't know. So there's always the chance that with the language difference and the language barriers that they just didn't answer things because they would advise not to. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. It looks bad. You can't deny that saying no comments are like... I think it may, was like 42 questions or 38 questions, something like that. Saying no comment to them, that is that is what we see from people who are guilty quite often. So, But I think being in a foreign country with a, a different legal system that you don't really understand, um, you, you are just going to have to bow down to the legal advice that you're given and you're going to take it. So the next theory that we'll look into is that Madeline was the victim of human trafficking. Portugal, the Algarve in particular, is known in the underworld as a gateway between Europe and Africa. The area is a hotbed of crime and a particularly active trade route for narcotics, contraband and sadly humans. Last year, the SEF, Portugal's border force, reported 86 victims of human trafficking in Portugal, which represents an increase of about 45% compared to 2018. Um, Most cases related to labour exploitation. In 2019, 75 cases of human trafficking were reported, 64 of which were victims of labour exploitation, with the remaining 11 being uh, trafficked for sexual purposes. These stats not only expose the hidden dangers of the Algarve, but they also give credence to the theory that Madeline may have been picked up by human traffickers. But if this is the case, then where did they take her? If Madeline was indeed kidnapped by an organised crime syndicate, then the initial taking of her would have only been one small part of the operation. After the snatch, the kidnappers would have immediately fled the area, following a carefully predetermined fast route out of the country before the local police even had a chance to look up. The likely possibilities are that Maddy was either discreetly driven across the border into Spain or France, or more likely smuggled out across the ocean on a private boat. Given Pride Luz's geographical location on the southern coast of Portugal, the obvious maritime-based route would be across the Gibraltar Strait and into Morocco, a notoriously active heroin trafficking link between North Africa and Europe. It's estimated that a speedboat travelling between the north of Morocco to the Algarve coast can reach its destination in just two and a half hours. By that logic, it's entirely possible that by the time the investigation into Maddie's disappearance had really had a chance to get going, she would have already been long gone and in a completely different country, on a completely different continent. And this theory, I think this theory scares me the most because it's a it's a scenario that seems so far-fetched and out of a movie or out of a book and yet tragically is is more common than I ever would have thought and when we were looking at the Rebecca Coriam's case and 
then we talked about Amy Bradley, and that's one of the main theories with her disappearance. And it's it's just horrific, isn't it? The idea that they've spotted her, they've decided she's going to get us a lot of money, we'll make a lot off the back of this child, and then they've watched the family for a few nights to see their routine. And also how absolutely terrifying it would have been for that young child. I just This is just the most horrific kind of... Whilst it would be awful if she'd been killed or accidentally killed or killed on purpose or anything or in an accident, this just is so horrible, isn't it? I, th- I think it is. I think it's probably the worst scenario out of all of the possible theories of what happened to Maddie. This is the theory that she is actively taken from her mom and dad and she is still potentially alive to this day or was alive for a number of years and being abused. I don't think it gets much worse than that, does it? Several alleged sightings of Madeline have been reported in Morocco since her disappearance. Some were treated as highly credible, so much so that in the first few weeks of the hunt for their daughter, the McCanns visited the North African country of Morocco to appeal for information. Even though nothing concrete has been established, it is still a favourite theory among those who follow the case. Beyond Morocco, however, it's impossible to say. Maddie could have then been moved with relative ease to any one of the surrounding, less developed African countries, eventually being sold to the highest bidder, fetching an attractive sum of money as a young white girl. The most likely of these nations could be Mauritania. Mauritania was the last country in the world to abolish slavery, outlawing the practice only in 1981. There are rumours that significant numbers of people remain in slavery in the country to this day and that gangs operating out of Mauritania sell children to rich Middle Eastern families. Colin Sutton, an ex-Scotland Yard detective, told journalists, The Mauritania line is certainly a possibility and needs to be looked at. If someone wanted to get a three-year-old child into Africa, it's the obvious route. The infrastructure and contacts for people smuggling are clearly there. Um, so Mauritania is not even that far from here. If you go on holiday to the Canaries, you could literally uh, get on a boat and go across to Mauritania in probably an hour. It's not mm, far. Yeah. Um, and that's really worrying. It, she could be there right now or she could have been there for years and years and years. But if you think it's just such an inhospitable country, um, we can't really travel there. You're not, not, you're advised not to travel there by the foreign office. Um, and you wouldn't want to go there because it's so dangerous, but it's, it is plausible that Maddie could have been abducted from Portugal and ended up somewhere like Mauritania mm-hmm. and abused by a paedophile ring and then eventually murdered. That is all possible very tragically. The next popular theory is that Maddie is alive and well and living freely, but has no idea who she really is. This could be because she was taken by criminals acting on behalf of a wealthy, childless couple who went on to raise Maddie as their own. Several witnesses claim to have seen suspicious characters loitering around the resort in the days leading up to Maddie's disappearance. It is theorised that these suspicious individuals could have been acting as spotters. In statements made to the PJ, several witnesses claim to have observed men behaving strangely near to apartment 5A in the days leading up to the disappearance, as well as on the day itself. Scotland Yard now believe that these men may have been spotters carrying out reconnaissance, roaming the area, searching for a child that best fitted their client's requirements. As mentioned earlier, there was no shortage of suspicious activity in and around the Ocean Club Resort in the days and hours leading up to Maddie's disappearance. Witnesses reported seeing an ugly blonde-haired man loitering across the road from apartment 5A, apparently watching it. He'd also been seen a few days earlier near the entrance to the Ocean Club Resort. On the 30th of April in 2017, an expat in Praia de Luz saw the same blonde-haired, ugly man leaning against a wall behind the apartment and then saw him again on the 2nd of May near the tapas restaurant and he appeared to be looking intently at apartment 5A. So that's 10 years after Maddie was 
was potentially abducted or disappeared. Um, so the, the kind of theory there is that that guy was responsible for taking Maddie and he's back again at the resort on the hunt for another child. And apartment 5A, where it was positioned, is a good apartment, basically, if you're going to abduct a child. It's right on the corner, right on the road. It would be easy to get away quickly. So that's why he was potentially targeting the same apartment again. On the day of the disappearance, another man was seen staring at the McCann's apartment block and a white van was parked nearby. Later that day, a young tourist girl on the balcony of the apartment above 5A saw a man leave through the gate below as though he had come out of the ground floor apartment and what caught her attention was that he looked around before shutting the gate quietly with both hands. So, I mean, that is really suspicious. So was that somebody going into the part the apartment and kind of um, having a look at it and making plans for later that day to, to abduct Maddie? Or it could have been one of their friends who's just gone to do something or check on the kids. Or... Yeah, could be. So yeah. he then does it carefully because he doesn't want to disturb the child who's having an afternoon nap. I... It's difficult, isn't it? I I assume that she would have been shown pictures of the so-called yeah, Tapas 7 I would have thought and, so. and asked, but mm, interesting. So the men involved in these suspicious observations, as we have said, could absolutely be involved in the taking of Madeline, or they might have nothing to do with it at all. All of these reports were acted on, but none of them provided investigators with any solid leads whatsoever. As for Madeline, she was three years old when she went missing. The brains of toddlers at this age have seldom begun to develop the ability to record and store long-term memories. As of now, if indeed still alive, Madeline would be 16 years old and almost completely unrecognisable at this point. It's entirely possible that there exists a young teenage girl who lives somewhere in Europe or indeed beyond, who has unwittingly lived her entire life with a new name, a new family and backstory and is completely unaware of who she really is. And the weird part of this is that she would almost certainly be aware of the infamous Maddie McCann kidnapping case and um, little would she know or does she know that that's actually her? How weird is that? I guess, at least with this theory, that person is now happy and that's like Madeline would be happy and stuff. But that is just horrific. If these people have potentially paid to have a child stolen from their real family, I mean, that's awful, isn't it? That's obviously nowhere near as bad as the being sold for some sort of slavery, sex slavery or or labour sort of trafficking. But still just as as awful and horrendous it's really plenty of other ways to adopt a child yeah absolutely so um there's another theory that i wanted to discuss which i find particularly fascinating and i think you will too bethan um and i'll kind of talk about it and then we can kind of discuss it but putting foul play aside for a moment the next popular theory among the web sleuthing community and me is that there was never any foul play at all Many suggest that Madeline simply left the room of her own accord after waking up and becoming upset at being alone and she may have died by accident while wandering around the resort looking for her parents. Whilst unlikely, it is not completely implausible that she either died by drowning in the ocean nearby, as kids her age love water but often lack the capacity to understand its inherent danger, or by some other form of misadventure. If you think that this type of scenario is far-fetched, you may be surprised at how distressingly common it is. I think it is very common, but I would just say that why was her body not found? But she could have have gone down like a a well or something like that. They didn't search every single well in Pride to Lose after her disappearance. I forget that wells are still a thing. They're I think it's just out of nursery yeah. rhymes. <laughs> no, they are an actual thing. Mm. Um, I think there's a number of possibilities, um, but but we have seen it happen. It does happen, and we saw it happen quite recently in 2019. We saw 15-year-old Nora Corin, a British teenager with special needs. Um, we saw that she'd wandered off from her Malaysian hotel room as a parent slept in the middle of the night, and she vanished into the surrounding jungle. Her body was then found 10 days later after she apparently starved to death. Um, Why Nora wandered off into the jungle in the first place will likely forever remain a mystery. But um, despite her being 15, she would have had a mental age of of somebody much younger. So um, 
I think that's really interesting. And it's a case that I've followed and have have looked at covering for our show, but I'm pretty sure Mm. that there was no crime here. But to think of her wandering off, finding herself deep in the jungle, um, lost, completely lost, and knowing that she survived there for 10 days and starved to death. And I just, I mean, it just beggars belief. It's it's a horrible way to die, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's definitely somebody that I've kind of followed as well, because a lot of people are still wondering that there's something more to that case. But I'm the same as you. I just think, unfortunately, for whatever reason, she wandered off. And it is really, really sad, because actually, if somebody had done anything to her, you wouldn't just leave her for 10 days, potentially, to come back out of the jungle. No. Um. So, yeah, I'm the same as you. I've I've always thought about potentially covering Nora's case. Have but you? Yeah. I always it's worry. Just, I, I do agree with you. I always worry that we will end up covering the same case. Like, oh, I know every once in a while yeah, I do think that. I, I think we just literally come to record the episode and I'll be like, it's on this. And you're like, fuck, I've already written a script on that. So um, For next week. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, tragic what happened to Nora, but probably a complete accident or you could call it misadventure I guess but nobody was ultimately responsible but I think it's it's within us as human beings to want to blame people or someone uh, when something tragic like that happens so I think that's maybe why her parents her mum in particular has um, said that there's potentially a lot more to it but in in my opinion from what I've read which is extensive reports on it I I don't think anything untoward happened Um, so if we assume that Madeline woke up and realised that her parents were in the tapas bar in the resort she may have been frightened and wanted to go and get them To get over there, Madeline would have had to come out of the premises, walk a short distance along a public road, which just fills me with dread, and then re-enter the resort. For a toddler of Madeline's age at the time, even if she had somehow managed to memorise the route, even a short trip like this could be fraught with danger. It has even been speculated that Madeline may have wandered down to the beach and drowned, or maybe fallen into a deep trench dug by road workers who were operating nearby, or she may have accidentally been run over by a local driver who then picked her up and buried her body somewhere. And that, for me, is one of the most interesting theories, because it reminded me so much of a BBC One program that was on I reckon like six years oh my seven god years we ago. loved it didn't we, we did it was called yeah. The Missing it was series one they did a couple of series I think series two was brilliant as well but in series one the premise was it was so similar to what happened to Maddie it really it was, was wasn't, wasn't it? it James Nesbitt yep James like Nesbitt him. so the parents had uh, gone on holiday somewhere in Europe they'd taken their young son and um, the son just went missing basically during the holiday he vanished without a trace and I, I mean spoiler alert here but in the end yeah don't listen for the next minute yeah, or two <laughs> in the end um, we learnt that a local had run over the boy uh, killed him and then picked uh, the body up and buried buried the body um, and we, we think that maybe happened to Ben Needham as well, who's uh, another prominent yeah. missing child uh, from decades ago, who um, a lot of information has come to light subsequently to suggest that that may have happened, that he may have been hit by a local in their car and then subsequently buried. So I just thought that that's so plausible for me. And it really reminded me of the missing. And the I mi- remember we were so angry, though, at the end, weren't we? Because... But what the programme did very well is it gave you all of these avenues of potential and then actually the most mundane, I yeah. know that sounds the, the wrong word, but the most simple and basic answer was the answer. And we'd gone down this rabbit hole of every week, all of us at work would be like, oh my God, what do you think it could be this? Do you think it could be that? And it was such a simple, awful mistake. And actually that... That is the most likely, you know, the human brain is designed to go down those rabbit holes and try and work things out. But ultimately, it could just be that very sad fact that they were hit by a car. Yeah. And that person covered it up because they panicked and they realised that it was a tourist. It was somebody not from around there. It wasn't going to be anybody that anybody knew. So they weren't going to have to be faced with the family of that victim who has gone missing um they can just try and bury it 
physically and mentally and forget about it. So I thought it's a really interesting theory because that series borrowed heavily from what happened to Maddie um, in terms of parents taking a child abroad on holiday and the child goes missing. And I just thought it's so interesting that maybe how that series ended is actually uh, how Maddie's life ended and, and they didn't know that. But I, mm-hmm. I do think it's plausible. The locals of Prior de Luz have since said that the area has countless old abandoned wells, some of which are more than a 100 feet deep. And as far as locals are aware, they were never searched completely by the police. And I, I guess you just can't, you can't really fully search hundreds of wells that are 100 feet deep, I'm guessing. No, I guess it's a bit like in America with storm drains and stuff as well. Potentially you would search the ones you can easily get to that are likely, but not everything. Yeah. So it could be possible that Maddie had wandered off um, and basically fallen down a well, never to be found and never to be heard of again. Kate McCann pointed out, over the course of their week-long stay at the Ocean Club Resort, Maddie had gotten to know the way that took her to the pool complex where her parents were eating. So why would she have continued down that dark, lonely path instead of turning towards the reassuring lights and the noise coming from where she knew she could find her mum and dad? Why would she have carried on down that road towards a well or a trench? But the thing is, is, is Kate McCann said that over the course of the week, she's got to know the way... Did she ever come out of the apartment at night time and come and find her family at the restaurant? Because if so, I believe that. If what Kate's saying is that she knew the route because in the daytime they did it, that's going to look 100% different. She would have been with other people walking with them. It's so easy to miss a turning or to not turn in back in through a gate, especially at such a young age, nearly four years, like a three-year-old, nearly four-year-old. They're small. They don't really know. And again, a bit like the missing, but wasn't that like he saw a fox or a cat or something and it caught his attention? She might have just seen something that caught her attention. She's so little, Mm. she wouldn't know about danger yet. She wouldn't like appreciate or understand. Don't keep walking. So unless Kate McCann could say she walked there every evening, she'd come and find us at the tapas restaurant. Unless she said that, I just don't think that that means anything. Yeah, it's a good point. I think, I suppose at the age of three, your kind of proportion of distance, your per- perception of distance, sorry, is is kind of skewed. So it could be that Maddie had, um, rather than turning back into the resort when she was on the main road, had sort of misjudged how far that was and just carried on walking and then got lost. Um, and then could have been hit by a car or could have just completely found herself in the middle of nowhere and, and yeah, sadly fallen down a well or into a trench that was being dug out and then subsequently filled in. Yeah, I remember being quite young, but I'm I was old enough to remember, so I must have been like seven at the earliest or something, but I remember walking with my family and we were all walking along the road and then they all turned into a car park. And I'd kept walking and then all of a sudden I realised there was nobody around me. And then I I remember really kind of, you know, that feeling when you're a child and you get lost and I had that horrible sinking feeling. And I was like, oh God, where have they all gone? And then my dad came running out of the car park. Like, what are you doing? Why haven't you come back in the car park with us? And I was kind of like, I didn't know that was the car. Like, do you know what I mean? And I would have been almost double her age probably. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's it is sad, but I just think if she tried to go find her parents, how the hell was she supposed to find them in the night time? If that is the case, she wandered out of the apartment looking for them. I how would she ever find them? Yeah, I do agree. Um I think it just worries me so much that she's walking down a public road at the age of 3. We don't know this happened, but she could have been it's it's possible. Um, that she was trying to find her parents and she's walking down a public road at half nine, ten o'clock at night and um, there's cars coming past. Yeah, it's really worrying. So we've talked about Maddie potentially being trafficked by an organised crime syndicate and then sold, but we have to probably look at something that's quite similar to that and it's probably the leading suggestion, which is that Maddie was picked up by an opportunist paedophile abducted and then later killed. It's a sad fact of life, but this type of tragedy occurs all of the time, all over the world, including in this country. 
It is just that this case was picked up by the tabloids due to the highly unusual circumstances that we outlined earlier. It is discomforting to think about, but if Madeline is indeed dead, then her remains must still exist somewhere on this planet. If they are ever found and identified, then we will get the closure that we need. This line of inquiry into the investigation may be the most difficult to deal with, but it may also be the one that finally delivers us the truth around what really happened to Madeline. And I think this is the thing, the the phrase which I hate but makes makes a lot of sense, wrong place at the wrong time, is the key to a lot of cases, a lot of things that we cover, a lot of awful things that happen, a lot of accidents. There is the chance that some of these theories kind of all play in together. She maybe left the apartment to come and find her family or or there was a burglary gone wrong. But, but anything where ultimately someone saw a chance yeah. and took a young girl. So, yeah. In 2009, it emerged that Madeline's disappearance was not all that unique by Portuguese standards. And many Praia de Luz locals believed that the Algarve had been awash with paedophiles around the time that Madeline went missing. One member of the public told a journalist, There are 38 known sex offenders in the Algarve. The area is a magnet for paedophiles. There have been seven sexual assaults involving the children of tourists in the Algarve in the last four years. That is horrendous as well, isn't it, to to think that... That the place is awash that with paedophiles. That could be going on. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me feel a little bit better about the idea that, like we said in the first episode, and a few people have also kind of said is, I wouldn't go on holiday with my children not to spend time with my children. Mm. Um, but the, the whole point of these kids clubs and childminders and all this stuff is that lots of parents don't want to hang out with their own kids on their holidays. Yeah, and these people um, are vetted and, it and really they're safe. Freaks me out. Yeah, but potentially those children are being put in danger. But then, just like I said before, anything can happen to anybody. Yeah. You just happen to be in that moment at that point in time. It's just, oh, it's just horrible, isn't it? It to is. To think that that's how many in four years as well. I know. I was going to say something really libelous about somebody completely unconnected to this case. I was going to say, I can't be bothered to put the bleeps in, so I won't say this individual's name, but when I said that the Algarve was awash with paedophiles at that time, I was going to be like, well, of course it was. So-and-so fucking lived there. Um, I'll tell you who afterwards, Bethan. Okay. Anyway, um, the police in Portugal have always acknowledged that this information about the Algarve's paedophile problem is indeed accurate, and all the known registered sex offenders in the area at the time of Maddie's disappearance were of course questioned. However, none of them could be credibly linked to this particular crime, and all of them were eventually dropped from the investigation. But what about the paedophiles in Pride Luz that the PJ did not know about because they were not actually from Pride Luz, or even Portuguese for that matter? This is a question that has only recently led us to probably the most promising lead of all since the investigation into Maddie began. In June 2020, authorities in Germany launched a criminal investigation into Maddie's disappearance and implicated 43-year-old convicted paedophile Christian Bruckner. German police, who are now under the strong presumption that Maddie is indeed deceased, have uncovered compelling new evidence that places Bruckner in the Algarve at the time of her disappearance. A paper trail also showed that he hastily sold his car the day after Maddie disappeared, and his phone records show that he dialed an unknown number just hours after Maddie vanished and that the call connected for a full 30 minutes. As such, the prosecutor's office in Germany has started proceedings against Bruckner on suspicion of Maddie's murder. He has already previously been convicted of sexual abuse against children and of the violent rape of a 72-year-old pensioner that took place in Praia de Luz only one and a half years before Madeline went missing in the same resort in 2007. He tied the woman up and gagged her, raped her in a bedroom and forced her to hand over cash. And as of this moment, he is incarcerated in Germany. German police know that Bruckner lived in the Algarve area from 1995 until 2007, the same year that Maddie disappeared. He worked various odd jobs such as waiting tables and bartending, but he was also known to burgle hotel rooms and holiday flats. 
It is understood that the police investigation into Bruckner began after a tip-off in Germany in 2017 when the police received a tip-off from a friend of his after the suspect had made a disturbing comment in a bar in Germany as they watched TV news coverage of the 10th anniversary of Maddie's disappearance. And like we were saying about the the so-called Tapas 7 is to not be able to say something that get someone's suspicions up if this guy is guilty and there's a lot of evidence pointing towards him which is it's incredible isn't it 10 years later that he then makes one comment and that gets someone's suspicion enough yeah could seven people really hold a pact of silence for that long i think that's really really interesting and it kind of links back to what you said earlier yeah i think it's a really good point and if you think about people that are keeping secrets like this it begins to eat away at you and you start to abuse substances and let your guard down uh occasionally and and you will just naturally want to offload and talk about it so um yeah i think it's it's extremely unlikely that seven people uh could have known about this and not told anybody and it's not got out and this is the most famous missing persons case in in criminal history isn't it so since 2017 german and portuguese police have been busy making inquiries and questioning those that knew bruckner during the years that he was working and residing in the algarve german media outlets have also reported that bruckner has previously been investigated over the disappearance of a five-year-old german girl who is known only as inga She went missing from a family party in Germany on the 2nd of May in 2015 and she's never been found. The German investigation into Bruckner and his actions in Pride de Luz back in 2007 is ongoing. His defence lawyers have warned that he has no intention of cooperating with the police. Um, And I think, you know, for me, this is just... This guy is innocent because he's not been tried yet, but it's quite clear that German prosecutors are currently building a case against him. He's currently in prison, so there's no rush. This is really important that they get this right, and they've uncovered... um like USB drives and all sorts in in a, a a house that this guy used to live in. So it it's my opinion uh based on everything I've read that that it's my opinion that he he probably is responsible for Maddie's uh prob- probable abuse and rape and then murder and I think the police have real credible evidence of this. I think they've seen video of Maddie in his house either being abused or murdered. Um I think that there's no way that that they could go out there and say we strongly believe or we know that Maddie is dead unless they've got really credible evidence. You just can't do that. They've not said we strongly believe. They've basically said Maddie is dead. So they must know. And I think it's at least he is already incarcerated. So they have the time. They have the the resources to investigate without worrying that he's a flight risk or anything as yeah. well. Yeah. That's incredible. What a horrific thing, like his backstory as well. All these different crimes that are quite different and then, but yet to have such violence, you know, with the different ages and you just think, God, what else is going to come out that he was the perpetrator of if it's him? Of course. I think it's interesting that he raped a 72-year-old because some people have talked about, well, is he a paedophile or isn't he? But but I think really what what we're seeing there is um, it's all about control, and a seventy two year old to him is is a vulnerable person as as is a child. So I think although they're at different ends of the age spectrum, I think they they possess really similar qualities to somebody like him, um, because we know that he is a paedophile and we know that he did rape her. So he might not have killed Maddie or raped her, abducted her, etc. But he's still a horrible guy because we know that to be a fact that he's committed all these other crimes. I thought it was quite interesting with Christian Bruckner. He kind of reminds me or or, or his sort of um, the way the CPS or Germany's equivalent of the CPS will be dealing with him right now reminds me of what happened to Ghislaine Maxwell. So um, Epstein was charged with all of these crimes. He was put in prison pending a trial. And obviously we know that he hung himself. and then. 
Ghislaine Maxwell just disappeared and she was being accused of all of these awful crimes but she disappeared and I remember for like a year I was like why has she not been charged no one's saying she's guilty but she's been accused of these awful things so she needs to be arrested and charged with them and it needs to go to a trial so that um, the evidence can be analysed and they can either convict her or find her not guilty. So I could never understand why they um, took so long and why they did nothing. But actually, I think the FBI the whole time knew where she was. They were keeping tabs on her and they were building a really strong case against her. So they couldn't just straight away go in there and charge her with these crimes. They needed to have a really solid case before they did that because she's going to have the best lawyers that money can buy. And if they went in weak, uh, it would have come to nothing. So I, I feel that it's kind of the same with Christian Bruckner. It's gone very quiet right now, but there's no rush. The police know where he is. They are just biding their time and, and taking the time to build a strong case against him because all eyes will be on this and they need to get it right. It's now been 14 years since Madeleine McCann went missing and despite the world's best efforts, we've been unable to find her and bring her home to her family. Kate and Jerry McCann have vowed to never give up hope and to never rest until they find their daughter alive or otherwise. And I really do think in the next 12 months we are going to get a resolution to this case. It's not going to be the resolution that they're hoping for because they very much still feel that Maddie is alive and that she is living her life somewhere. Um, for me, I, I think it's it's pretty obvious that Bruckner, um, in my opinion, is responsible for this. And uh, I think that's really going to come out in the next 12 months. So as uh, we said at the beginning, please do get in touch with your thoughts on this case. We've gone through loads of different theories. But we want to know what you think too. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And also if you uh, want to become a patron of the show, then please do. You can head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. It takes two minutes to sign up and it makes a humongous difference to us and to us ensuring that the show continues. So um, so please do have a think about that. Um, but until next time, we, uh, we are going to be taking a little break actually, aren't we? So we're back in a couple of weeks and um, we'll see you then. We'll see you then, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.